welcome to episode four of Boundary Objects and our podcast this day is about part-time contracts and we're going to give you some interview tips uh, to deal with some of these short-term types of jobs that you might have. So my name is Dr. Julia Petrov. I graduated from Leicester's School of Museum Studies as a PhD. I finished in 2012 and since then I have been holding down several different contract lecturer positions. We call them sessional instructor jobs in North America, and I live in Canada. And today I am joined by... Guðrún. My name is Guðrún Whitehead. Don't try to pronounce it. You will hurt yourself. (laughs) I graduated in 2014, early, and I have since and had before, during my studies, uh, been doing part-time work as a lecturer of uh, museum studies at the University of Iceland, also in a uh, contract-based thing. I am currently an adjunct lecturer and a postdoc at the museum studies program at the University of Iceland. So, as you can tell we're both uh, part-time lecturers so we understand that part-time work is just a reality of the early days of academic work these days Um, and you might be facing not just contract lectureships but you might also be getting contract work in museums in galleries um, perhaps even in government so today we're going to be talking about some of the pros and cons of that how to make the best of it and then we're going to finish off by giving some some interview tips and describe what kinds of experiences you might have in interviews so we'll probably start with uh, some of the pros and cons of short-term contracts. Absolutely. Now, first of all, of course, uh, first thing you have to admit is simply that it's not easy always to get a contract like this. So even just getting the opportunity to do some lecturing, giving some talks, teaching at all is a first step. And it's really important. So if you're already holding a contract or you are have a pos- possibility of getting something like this, take it. Take it immediately. <laughs> because they may be tiring and you may complain about it, but you are putting, you are getting something for your CV, basically. And a teaching opportunities is one of the more important things that they're going to be looking at when you want, when you're asking, when you're applying for a job, I think. That's right. So the the pros is, of course, that it's, experience. Um, It's experience of whatever different kinds of uh, work that you might be able to do, but also the different institutions that you might have the opportunity to work in. But of course, one of the cons is the fact that um, you do have a very short amount of time to get used to it. Absolutely. Um, You have some insecurity in terms of you don't know how long uh, it's going to continue on for. Usually these have an end date, but I mean to say that you don't know whether it's going to be renewed. Um, And perhaps some of the other pros of it is that it gives you a wide variety in your CV. Now, obviously, there are different kinds of uh, universities allow you different amounts of freedom. So you may be following someone else's coursework and syllabus and everything, or you might have to create it on your own. Uh, completely from scratch in a very short amount of time. Now, a lot of these lectures tend to be somehow that you are preparing and reading up on the material like the day before each lecture, keeping half a step in front of your students. And that is simply a reality. 
And it's okay because it's nobody will know that you no. were up till three o'clock the night before. No. Um, in fact, it keeps you fresh. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's yeah. also, you shouldn't be afraid of asking your colleagues for help. Certainly, yeah. um, many of these contracts do come with particular provisions for things like access to materials. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you are in a collaborative enough work environment that they will offer you and say, oh, hey, I have some... Um, you know, lecture material that might be relevant for you, or would you like me to come in and give a guest lecture, etc. And that's a great time-saving Absolutely. Thing. And also, some of these universities, uh, they give their teachers opportunities to go on short courses for a couple of hours, giving you some tips. And you know, take these opportunities, use them, because you can also put that on your CV. Absolutely. Professional development of any kind, and particularly of teaching, yeah. is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, and that's something that you might miss when you finish the PhD in terms of that support from the university mm-hmm. to give you the kind of skills that you need. So if you're working in an institution that gives you the opportunity to attend seminars or to maybe take a short course, then yes, that's absolutely uh, worth doing, even if you don't get a piece of paper certificate in the end of it. Oh yeah, that really shouldn't matter. Besides, if they do want a record of it, I am sure that could be arranged. Oh, yeah. But just being able to say that, yes, it's not only that I have done it, I've also taken courses and I've read up on what the material is. And you know, the thing is, you will never always be teaching exactly what you studied or exactly what you are interested in. But being able to show diversity in your field and teaching is just going to be a plus as well. But it's not just about showing it. I think it's also important to remember that you do actually know this stuff. You you might not have thought about the basics for a while, maybe since you did your literature review when you were doing your PhD. But you certainly do know the basics Mm -hmm. and it's kind of fun to get back to those things sometimes and say okay well what what are we talking about really when we talk Mm -hmm. about museum studies what are we talking about when we talk about let's say conservation you know those those are good things to do one of the things that i also like about that exactly is that especially perhaps with um uh courses like within museum studies at least at my university i'm surely at the other ones as well you get people from all kinds of disciplines all kinds of disciplines and that matters a lot because you're not only you're going back to the basics for yourself you're having this amazing discourse with people from all different times of places all different kinds of places and in their own lives as well and they're in their studies and and that co- that sort of conversation can help you as well develop your own research and thought. And it just keeps you going. That's right. The so what, uh, having to yeah. explain that to students from diverse fields like sociology or archaeology or anthropology. Making uh, it relevant Art to history, them. yeah, is really yeah. helpful for your own research and writing. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with some of these teaching contracts is that there isn't necessarily time to do research and writing. No. I'm fortunate enough that, uh, for the most part, the Canadian system gives me some funding. So for every course that I teach, I do get some research funding that comes with that. Now, sometimes it's very small. It just pays for, let's say, professional membership. But I'm certainly evaluated on the basis of whether or not I'm keeping up Mm -hmm. with my professional obligations as a researcher. And after all, it's fun. I mean, that's why I went into doing a PhD. So Mm -hmm. as long as you can kind of plan your time wisely, I think that's a really key skill as well with short-term contracts. To be able to say, okay, um, today is my teaching day, so today I will concentrate on my Mm -hmm. teaching obligations and not make your brain bounce around too much. It's so easy to say that you need to do some research and it's really hard to do it in between 
times because you keep saying, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. But one thing that I learned after, it took me a while, but I learned that in the end, that is actually, you just need to be really hard on yourself and say, look, I am only getting so many hours paid for this job. And although I could do it 24-7 and I want to put all my soul and heart into it, you are simply, you do not have the luxury of doing this as like that. You can, you have to allocate your time a little bit. Give yourself one day to prepare for each lecture and no more. At the most. Anything. Just whatever works for you, obviously. Just make sure that you are, that you're putting the, the amount of time that you can into it and no more than that, I think. That's well. right. Well, for you, you have to split your time between your teaching and your postdoc. So you literally yeah. have to split up your week. Yes, and I'm still learning how to do that because I tend to work quite chaotically anyway in anything yeah. that I do. But then you have a 50% and 50-50 sort of split. And let's face it, when you are at the end of the semester, you're creating exams, you're going over papers, you're answering questions, and you're still teaching. There is no way you have the energy to do as much research as you probably should be. No, so then you schedule it at, let's say, the, the beginning of the term or in the middle of the term when things During the summer, slow down a little bit. when you're not teaching Absolutely. anything. But that's after you get the contract. So this is even more important when you're on a part-time contract where you have absolutely no job security at all, really. And it's even more important then that you're not only doing this, but doing this as part of trying to gain more experience in all the levels of That's your... That's right. Because one of the things with these part-time contracts is that because you don't know whether they're going to be renewed, you have to use your resources. So, for example, having access to a great research library, a university library. Use you it. might not have that in the summer, let's say, when your contract is over. So use it while you can. Download those papers from journals. Um, make sure you are keeping up with the literature. Um, use your university email address while you have it to correspond with people so that it looks more official. Um, yeah. Just really use those resources while you have them. And of yeah. course, it sounds kind of crazy and chaotic, and it is. And certainly in your first year, you will struggle. But you learn how to balance your time ever so slowly it's mm-hmm. just it and how to communicate that with other people yeah. and manage those expectations oh i'm sorry thursday is my research day i can't answer teaching emails on that day no and do it as in don't yeah. just say to the students i'm only going to answer emails on that day just don't answer any emails except on that day do not answer emails at 3 o'clock in the morning. Do not do it. Don't they check will... your email no. at 3 o'clock in the morning. Don't no. answer it. They will not thank you. No. Don't do it. They will not forget. You will be the teacher that always answers immediately. And you will spend your Christmas just crying into your Christmas punch. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not untrue. No. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> it's just... As well, you just it's about being honest about your workload, not just to yourself, but you just to your students and to, and to your colleagues and to your colleagues as well. I so, think sometimes I think we all experience this, even if we have part uh, full time jobs, we experience that sort of creep of obligations, and you just have to say no. Yeah. Um, and also, family life is yeah. important. Having a personal life is important. Um, you have to close the lid of the laptop. Shut down the phone. <laughs> Just hang out and watch yeah. some movies. Uh, go for dinner. You know, get out into the fresh air as well. Last year, 
I had to go on to uh, a vitamin D regimen because I was in the basement writing too much. I was not getting enough sun. That's not good. Nope. You have to go get some fresh air. Yeah. So, you know, if you find yourself not being able to remember your students' names, it's probably not because you're overwhelmed or not just because you're overwhelmed. It's because you're not getting enough vitamin D. <laughs> Medical tip from Dr. Petrov. Uh, not that kind of doctor. <laughs> Disclaimer. Uh, so, um, it's really true that you have to manage your, your time wisely, or as wisely as you possibly can, yeah. at the same time as getting your job um, to the place where you need it to be. So certainly you're providing a service for the university, but the university is also providing a service for you. Oh, yeah. And same with, same with a museum job uh, that might be a, a part-time contract, etc. You know, it's, it should be a mutually beneficial I think arrangement. So. And I... if you're feeling exploited, there's probably ways and means to, to make your situation better. I think so. Because you, you have to, I mean, you have to take what you can get from this job. Yeah. So if you're doing if you're doing a course which is vaguely in the area that you're interested in, but not like completely, like and you're not getting a lot of paid, it's a lot of stress and a lot of work, and you're supposed to do all these other things as well. Um, just think about what can I do to expand or make this program in a way that suits me as well. What can I get out of this job other than just this? That's going to benefit me. And you know, it's not a bad thing to think like that. You no. have to think about yourself and your career first because nobody else is going to do that for well, you. Well, and also you're the one doing the job. You are the you're one, the doing one the in, job. That, yeah. in that add, work. Add an article that you wrote into your you know syllabus. Into yeah. your syllabus. I do that all the time. I do uh, my friends' papers. Yes. <laughs> if they're at least vaguely somewhere in the general area of what I'm teaching, I try to get them in. Because why not? Why shouldn't I? That's what I'm teaching for, right? That's right. So I try to use the library. I try to think about it as having access to professors as well. Absolutely. Your so, colleagues are a great resource. Absolutely. And I go to my colleagues all the time or at functions or whatever it is just to hear what they are researching and telling them, oh, yeah, I'm doing something vaguely in the same area. Just so that they know when your name comes up, this might be something that might be useful or interesting. And, and networking, it works like that. You know, networking is a scary word. It sounds like you have to schmooze, like you have to suck up to people. And that's not true. Networking sometimes is just about making a connection with someone who's in a similar mm -hmm. field, someone whose work you find interesting, um, and then they'll think of you. Yeah. You know, I, I got an email the other day um, because one of my colleagues had been approached for a job, for a contract, and they thought of me because they know what my situation is. So mm. I think just being honest with people, having these conversations with them, not whining and complaining, but no. in the sense of saying, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I have these contracts. If you hear anything, let me know. I, I, I'm interested because otherwise they won't know if you're yeah. interested. And you know, what are the greatest things that I enjoy about being doing this, all this kind of academic and research stuff is that the smallest conversation can turn into the most interesting project. So That's this, very true. So that one conversation at the coffee house with someone can end up in you editing a journal or... Uh, Co-presenting co a paper. That's just yeah, what happened to me last week. Absolutely. Yeah. I got the job uh, just to help out uh, on a, with, a, with, with, uh, with an exhibition here in Iceland. And I was sort of uh, helping them research a certain part of it. And that just happens because... 
well, I said yes to being a free consultant in one meeting. And they thought, oh, okay, that's something that's vaguely interesting. And then you're getting your name out there. You're that's doing right. really fun stuff and you get to do that. That is one of the beauties of this job. Mm-hmm. But you it's get... also important to say no if you have to. Well, I haven't still learned that, so I can't no. give that advice. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't learned how to say no yet. I feel uncomfortable though saying that. I, I, I do as well, but you have to be aware of things like practicality. So, for example, oh, for yeah. me, splitting my time between institutions means a lot of driving in Canada in the winter. Oh, yeah. So, you have to be aware that, you know, if you end up in a snowbank somewhere... And you know what? Be careful of who you work with. Be That's careful true. of who you say yes to. The project may be interesting, but it may be very difficult to work with that one person. That's right. Or the people... And you don't want to get yourself in a situation where it does escalate to become a kind of aggressive confrontation. Because that's not going to be good for your career either. No, no. No. That's just going to make it worse. Uh, And it's just... You never know, I suppose. But but sometimes you can just ask around a little bit beforehand. Absolutely. Again, why networking is important. Uh, Because people will feel comfortable telling you this stuff. I guess what I mean by saying no is, is not... It's just that... In the early stages of your career, mm. it can feel like you have to say yes to everything. Oh, yeah. And I think you just have to be canny about yeah. what are the projects that you say yes to. Yeah. What is relevant. Just like what you were just saying about how can I make this work better for me. Mm-hmm. You know, what if I say yes to this, will this put me ahead or will this put me behind? Yeah, I think that it's... It, what I always think when people tell me you need to choose your projects is the first thing I always think is, well, it's easier for you to say because you've been through it and you are already secure. You have the luxury of saying no, mm. but I don't. But now now that was my immediate reaction for at least the first year. Uh, and I found it very difficult to say no to anything. So I said yes to everything and I ended up having to do some very frustrating work for no pay, little time, no energy, and it didn't give me anything except no. frustration. I mean, it's hardly, it's like, it's, there's some of these things are things you can hardly mention in your CV because they don't seem worth it. Well, and that's kind of what I'm talking about because sometimes you'll get offered work and you're just like, oh, it's, it's work, but actually you're overqualified. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to look good. No. And if you're doing the job of a summer student and yeah. you have a PhD, it's not going to look good. No, I think it's just, it's easy to give this advice and it's hard to take it. And I think that probably most of, most people just need to hit that wall at some point and then go through it. That's probably true. But I mean, but we're here to tell you anyway. Yes, we're, we're going to still try to make you see sense before this happens. Although you probably just ignore us, but think about this. Because, because really... You need to be interested in the project. You need to want to do this. Yeah. And it's not about finding your career trajectory and just going with it. I mean, uh, I careers have been, are very fluid. Absolutely. And I have been doing out. And you know what? There's also another thing which I think is important to mention is that we're doing a lot of stuff that is free. And for most of us, we still need to maintain. You know, we have to pay bills, we have to eat food, <laughs> we have to occasionally have somewhat of a personal life, and all of this costs money. So sometimes you just have to do things that pay the bill, whether that is some um, uh, research project that you're only vaguely interested in, or waiting tables, or whatever it is. So we're not thinking about the career trajectory when we're saying, say no to projects, just it's about time management. And being canny. And being canny, like, is this going to benefit me or not? Yeah, and find ways to benefit you if it doesn't. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So given that you're going to be stringing all these jobs together, yeah. uh, you probably are going to be going to a lot of interviews. Absolutely. So let's talk about the different kinds of interviews that you might have right. and maybe how to uh, make the best of those situations. Okay, let's let's start with the Skype interview because we've both been through that and that is a very popular yeah. The phone call. Yeah, the, well, the phone call is a little bit different, but yeah. yeah. So the remote interview, Yeah. Um, the phone call can be quite hard, yeah, actually. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful when they make that effort for yeah. you. Um, you might be in a different time zone. You might mm-hmm. be in a different city. Um, sometimes they use the phone call as a sort of pre-screening interview. Mm-hmm. So they say, oh, are we really interested? We don't know. Maybe we'll call them first, and then we'll invite them for an in-person one. Yeah. So... It can be quite challenging from the interviewee's end because you might be on a group phone call, a conference mm-hmm. call. Uh, you're introduced to people, but it's hard to keep them up, keep them straight. Yeah. I find. I, what I do is that I usually have like just like a pen and a block in front of me. Yeah, a piece and of I paper. Just, yeah. yeah, just a piece of paper, and I just write down their names because it is really embarrassing to talk to someone on the phone. And three minutes in, you want to mention one of them, and you're like. What was it gets really awkward when you try and avoid their name as well because you can't remember it. Yes, and you're like, Oh, yeah, the lady on the left. I mean, what are you gonna say? It's a phone call, you know. You can't really, oh, yeah, the one with the screechy voice. Yeah, don't don't say that. that. So, so you have to think about like, I think it's a good idea to write at least on the first name or second name, whatever it is. That's right, and just try and be as as natural and personable as possible. And you can write like a little note, like, uh. Julia, the one with the screechy voice. And so you'll know which one is talking. You just don't say it out loud. Yeah. But but you just have a little notes that you can yeah. refer back to. And if they say something like, oh, yeah, I'm really interested in this sort of stuff, you know, you can just write like a note. That's right. And then, then you, you can, can refer to it. Yeah. Absolutely. So when they start asking you questions, you can make it a little bit more And personal. sometimes that feels awkward because you think, oh, well, I'm taking time to write it. But actually, most people talk too fast yeah. in interviews. Oh, yeah. So it kind of forces you to slow down and, and calm down and breathe. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is that you have to be patient with the technical mm-hmm. problems that might happen. Yeah. So the speaker might go. Yeah. Uh, if it's a long distance call or if it's a Skype call, there might be a delay. Yeah. In, in them hearing you and you hearing them, it might be scrambled. So you just have to to, to chillax. Everyone yeah. knows that this happens. It's yeah. not your fault. Nope. You just do it. You can't control it. With Skype, I would say, you know, give them a backup phone call. Mm-hmm. like a, Or, a, sorry, a phone number where they can reach you. Mm-hmm. And the other important thing about Skype is make sure you're in a place with a decent internet connection. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you know, brush your hair, put on your makeup. Yeah. If you have makeup to put on. And that's just so and, that you uh, feel confident when you're right. in that phone call. Do whatever you need to do to feel really confident, feel that's a little right. kick-ass. That's right. And, and be in a setting that is neutral yet professional. Yeah. So maybe don't be in your kid's bedroom. No. Probably not with the picture of, you know, a poster of the Simpsons behind you. Um, Probably not a good idea, yeah. depending on the job you're after, I suppose. Yes, well, unless it's for the Simpsons Museum, in which case, <laughs> do it. Go for it, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's Skype. Yeah, well, I think also just think about the, the acoustics a little bit as well. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Because you don't want it to be sort of echoing around. That's, yeah, before they call you, turn on the video camera, see how you look. Yeah, oh yeah, do that. That's a very good idea. So that your thumb isn't in the way, that yeah. you know, there's no make double sure, chin going on. No, no, make yourself look good on the camera beforehand. 
which sounds vain, but we all know it matters because when you're meeting face to face, it's a different thing. You can you're maneuvering yourself differently than when they're just looking at the flat picture right. of you on screen. That's and right. I, there's another thing that I think that people tell me that that I always think about when uh, when I have these interviews is that. Uh, you're allowed to ask questions. You're allowed to pause and say, look, I need to think about this question. It's very interesting. Can you elaborate? Or, you know, just, you know. Just, or ask a... for an example. If yeah. you're not sure what they're talking about, say, yeah. can you give me an example? Yeah. And this is all about giving yourself, just have a glass of water next to you. Mm. You know, do that. Have a coffee. Not the coffee, maybe. <laughs> you're already <laughs> excited. You don't need the caffeine. No, just have something that, just something to drink. So not just because you get thirsty, also, just so that you can... As a prop yeah, to pause. Yeah, just legitimate reason to stop talking for a couple of seconds and just yeah. give yourself the one minute to think. And that's not rude. That's not, no, that's not bad. It's and that's, just so that you don't go ahead of yourself. That's right. And that goes for in-person interviews as well. Now, oh, we're yeah. probably not going to talk about the regular kinds of interviews because no. anybody can go online and yeah. look for tips for those. But yeah, I think yeah. um, we should also talk about the multi-day interview. Yeah. Now, this is something that is more common, I think, in North America. But mm-hmm. This is we not recently, something I'm familiar about. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Amy Barnes, um, who has done a lot of these podcasts, recently went on one of these in England as well. So... Um, the multi-day interview is one with usually a campus visit. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that you get invited is an in-person interview, but it has lots of different components. Mm-hmm. So you certainly have your usual uh, interview with a panel who asks you questions about what makes you qualified for the job, what kind of experience you've had. You also usually get to meet other people in the department, okay. perhaps uh, administrators, such as the dean um, of, of the faculty. Mm-hmm. You might get to meet graduate students who might be interested in working with you. You get a tour of campus facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's often an informal component, so there might be a dinner. Okay. Um, dinner is often very tricky. Um, yes. That's the place where people really find out whether they want to, to work with you, because that's where you make personal connections. Yeah. Um, and there's also usually a research presentation that you have to do. So you have Mm -hmm. to kind of show people, what are you working on? What are you planning to work on? How does it fit within the research program of the department, the the department for which you are, uh, interviewing? All right. Why don't you give us some tips on, uh, how to put, to put together a good presentation? Sure. Um, so you are a specialist, but you're speaking to people who really are not specialists in your field. So you want to be talking about things like, what are the basics of your research? What kind of material are you using? And make some very tentative general connections about, well, um, this other person in the department works on this. You know, this would be very interesting. Or I think I could attract, let's say if you have an international research project, I could attract international graduate students, Mm -hmm. um, for example. That's very important. Now, now I'm interested also in another thing. Uh, It's the theory stuff. Now, in academia, they often say, show off the really specialized stuff that you know. But... When you're doing this sort of thing, you're trying to sell your image as an academic as well. So do you want to go to the really complicated stuff to show off your knowledge? Or do you want to, to try to make it simplify it so that a larger audience understands you? Uh, it's tricky because you don't want to sound too dumb. No. But you don't want to sound too, too clever either. Because you might be like, oh, I use Deleuze. Absolutely. And people are going to be like, de who? 
Yeah. And uh, that's not very helpful. No. So what you might say is, you know, I come from, let's say, a sociology background, and I use this theorist who is very well respected. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, you kind of bound it a little bit and say, all right, um, this is the background from which I'm coming. I, I've done the research. I know what the basics are. I know what I'm doing. Um, and here's what I specifically am contributing. Okay, so you go a little both ways. Well, I think so. And the so what is important again. Yeah. The so what of I'm doing this work, but why is it important? Why should yeah. anybody care? Yeah. And I think the other important thing is, especially if you're interviewing for a teaching uh, post, tell them about how you can use your research and teaching. They will ask yes. you that in your interview, but say yes. it in your presentation as well. Oh, yeah. Why would undergraduates be interested in this? You know, what graduate seminars might you propose for this? One of the things that nothing prepares you for quite, quite well enough until you just start teaching is the fact that you're giving these people some, you're giving them their first taste. Often is their first taste of this discipline. Yeah. Now you're talking about some complicated stuff, even if it's basic to you, like Foucault or whatever, Levi Strauss, any of these dudes that have been around for, for eons. And Marx, even. Marx, yeah. often. I keep having to talk about these guys, and you're talking about them, and it's so normal to you to just throw these names around. But then when you actually ask how many of you have heard about these theories, at least half of the class is not going to raise their hand. So what you are doing most of the time during class is giving them complicated things to read and explaining it in a simple way in class. And also showing them, again, this is how it can be applied. Yeah. So that is a way where you can work your research in. Exactly. And say, so for example, in my research, yes. I use Foucault to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I use Deleuze to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So turn it into something teachable. So yes. You're not just so a very similar kinds of thing you would do in your research uh, presentation for I one see. of these multi-day yeah, interviews. That, that makes sense. Because you, you need to be able to say... I know these people, yeah. but you and also sometimes, need to explain to them what they mean, not just throw the names That's right. Them. And sometimes, actually, they will ask you to teach a um, an example class. Really? Yeah. I've been asked uh, to give a sort of guest lecture. Okay. Um, and they will often say, okay, well, this is this kind of class. This is where we're at in the year or in the in the semester, in the curriculum. You so know, I would normally be giving a lecture on such and such a topic, but, you know, you can either do your own thing or try and fit that in. Um, I've done both. I think it's probably better, more helpful for your colleague who is providing the space for you in the class to make it relevant to what they're trying to do in the class. Yeah. And it's also less confusing for the students. Yeah. Um, and also I think it shows that you are someone who can fit in, who can just say, who can walk into that classroom and start teaching. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not that's true is a totally different question, but you know, teaching, you have to be able to, to demonstrate it. Oh yeah, teaching is all about perceptions. It's about who you decide to portray yourself. Stage management. It is stage management. You're in front of the class, you are no longer at the back, you are at the front of the class and you're saying, I know this stuff and you don't and I'm going to show you why That's I'm right. not here at the front. Right. So it doesn't mean that you have to know all this stuff or that you will have to have known this for 10 years. You can have looked it up on Google two minutes before the class starts, but you're right. allowed to But say you it. will have known the right web sites to click on Google. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> yeah. That is part of it as well. Not Wikipedia. Yeah. No, never Wikipedia. At least use it as a starting point, never the end point. That's right. So but, but, for a multi-day interview, this is something that you yeah. would do for academic jobs. This is yeah. probably not something that you would have to do 
at a museum job. And again, if you're doing a guest lecture or whatever like this, again, just try to make it a way that is teachable to the students. Demonstrate that you're able to take whatever they throw at you and show people how it works. That's right. Exactly. You can handle it. You, can you handle are a it. competent professional. Yeah. Um, now, a, a kind of interview that uh, is perhaps quite common for... Um, government type jobs which actually mm -hmm. might be museum type jobs yeah, yeah. Uh, just as well as policy setting jobs um would be an exam type interview and i don't yeah. know anything about this so i'm gonna let Gertrude talk about all it. right so i have done one of these at least a government type thing so you throw in your cv and they decide that you might be someone who is applicable and these government types of job often require of you some general knowledge and some specific knowledge to do with whatever governing part you're doing. So with whatever, whatever scene it is that you're doing. So, so you have to just demonstrate some sort of knowledge about politics and culture and society. And language, often. Language, regulations, and rules. So there are lots of different things that you might have to do. Now, in my instance, I had, there's a, there was a general test that you had to take, and those that was for anyone wanting to apply for a government job. There was some sort of exam. Now... I can't tell you how to prepare for that, really. It is just, if you are into that sort of job, likelihood is you will have a basic understanding of what they want anyway. Yeah, it, if, it has to do with your particular government. Exactly. So you will know this anyway, or you wouldn't be applying for that job either at, with the government, because it is just something that goes with the job. It's now, a screening. It's a screening, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's so understandable, and it's absolutely fine to take them. Any sort of exam is nerve-wracking, and I realize this, but... If you're applying for this sort of job, you will be wanting to, they will want you to know this. So I wouldn't just worry too much about it. Just look up what they want and then just read up on it yeah. for a while. Now, the second phase for me when it is to do with languages, for example, it's that I had to give uh, an, an example of how well I could translate in a certain, and for me, it was a certain amount of time. I had uh, half an hour, hour. They gave me something and I had to translate it into Icelandic. Now, it depends on sort of, again, it depends on what job you were applying for, yeah, but, but, but they gave me yeah. a, a basic list of some of the specialized words in translation, and I just had to make them a text that would flow, that would be understandable, that would make sense, something that was close to the original, you know. So I got a certain amount of time, and I had to translate it into Icelandic. Right. And you German. might live in a country, so Canada, for example, has mm -hmm. two official languages. Yeah. In order to work as a federal employee, you have to show a competence in both official languages. So you are very likely to be asked to write mm -hmm. a language competency exam. Yeah. So again, this is something that you uh, probably have some level of proficiency at, otherwise yeah. you wouldn't be applying. Yeah. Um, but it's an exam situation, it's very different. But in yeah. a way, it's also um, kind of calming because mm. you either know your stuff or you don't. It's not as yeah. unpredictable as See, a face-to-face -face interview. Absolutely, and you're not a student. Don't forget that. You are not a student in this instance. You are someone who is applying for a job. This is not the this is not the same thing as getting. I mean, I mean, you don't get a grade for this. Yeah. Either you know this or you don't. That's the thing. So this is that is the coming part. Just showing off your skill in different kinds of ways. But that's essentially what, what the you, interview is. Absolutely. You're showing off your skill. Yeah. And the other tip that I have is that never forget that it's an interview for you as well. I have yeah. been to interviews 
where I show up and I immediately know this is not the place for me. No. I've I've interviewed. I had to take a train to a different city. I'm not going mm-hmm. to mention the city. It's a shit town in the UK. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got off that train on the platform and I thought, oh God, no. Please don't let me get this job. That's fine too. You show up to a room and they have it set up as some kind of, I don't know, terrible Stasi interrogation studio. And you think, no, no, no. this is not the place for me. So if you can see yourself working with these people, you are going to likely be more confident in being able to show yourself and to prove to them that you are someone they want to work with. Mm-hmm. And even if you, let's say, don't know the answer to a question or um, you might not be sure how to answer a question, try and show yourself. Mm-hmm. Show your best skills. Mm-hmm. So um, I, for example, when they ask do you have any questions for us? I often like to say, what don't you want to see in a candidate? Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, who, who's sort of your least ideal candidate? And then yeah. you sort of, in, in a kind of jokey, friendly way, say, oh, okay, well, you know, no, no need to worry about that. I'm great at this, this, and that. Yeah. Right? So you sort of alleviate their fears with, by answering the question in a way that makes you look mm. uh, in a better light. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think... You know the the interview is is you know the interview itself is is a great part of the process really and I know this is really hard for people as well it's you have this very small allo- allocated time to show who you are and to make your best sales it's like pitch. A date. It is like the you know the blind date from hell. <laughs> you know but it doesn't have to be. It could be. It could go really well. Yeah, but th- that is the thing. You don't know until you get in that yeah. room, do you? So you spend like a week dreading this thing, and you get really nervous about which black shoes you're gonna wear or something. But uh, but I think that wear the comfortable ones. Wear the always wear the comfortable ones. And what I like to do is throw in a little bit of me in there that is a little crazy well memorable not crazy but memorable all right if you want to go all that way yeah but no it's true you just wear something that makes you feel like you like you think yeah yeah i'm me still inside this bubble of professionalism there's something of me personally in there and i can do this whoever i am let's talk about follow-ups yeah because this is something that is the scariest part of the job process oh yeah so you've had your interview you you went home and now you just have to wait for the answer. All right. How long are you going to wait until you just freak out and call them, crying in the middle of the night? Answer, not 24 hours. Not okay. 24 so hours. A really important question to, be, to ask at the interview is, when do you anticipate making a decision? Yeah. And then add a few days. Yes. Because especially, and museums as well as universities are slow-moving bureaucratic mm-hmm. creatures... Uh, whatever they say, it's going to take way longer. Much, much So they might longer. be like, oh, we want to make a decision at the end of the week. It's going to be like two weeks from now. Yeah, don't expect them to give it out any sooner than two, at double the amount of whatever they say. Basically, yeah. Yeah, if D- they say a week, don't, don't freak out no. after seven days. Now, exactly. it's okay to follow up. And I would yeah. say, you know, after a few days, the next day you certainly um, follow up with the same day or the next day you follow up with the person that you have been contacting in terms of organizing the interview, the main person who's been leading this interview process. And you say, thank you for this opportunity. If there's any other questions you want answered, I'm available, you know, by email or phone or whatever. Yeah. It just shows that you're interested in the job. Still. If you're interested in the job, yeah. don't do this if you're not interested. No, <laughs> futile. Yeah. Um, and then 
after this the period that they've told you plus a few days that tacked on has gone by, then you know if you still haven't heard anything, then you say, "Hey, just following up. I'm still interested." Um, Let someone else read the email. Oh God! You yes, send yes, it. yes. Get a, a friend or a mentor. Yes, I am the boundary objects mentorship coordinator. If you need the mentor to help you with this, to email help you me. Stop the please hire me, please, please, please. Oh God, I need this job. <laughs> if you need the person to stop you from saying this, and sometimes it's really hard not to. Call, you know, call, get, get in touch with Julia yeah. and she will hook yeah. you up with a mentor. With, with a sponsor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because it's better to say to the sponsor, oh my God, I really want this job. I am literally dying over here than to send that to a professional. Yeah, do not do that. Don't do so, it. And likely, the likelihood is they understand that you're under pressure as well and they will send mm-hmm. you a very nice email and say, oh, look, we're still deciding. We'll let you know. Yeah. And if you've been for an interview you are probably going to hear back from them. Yes. It's a very bad institution that doesn't let the people who have been interviewed let know. Now, we all know that the reality of employment nowadays is that you know your application goes completely into the ether and nobody even acknowledges receipt and nobody even says, oh, you haven't been selected for an interview. But once you've been invited for an interview, you've had your interview, you're one of a very select group of people, You know, maybe three, maybe five, five like at the most. Um, so really they will get back to you eventually. Yeah. There's one more thing that I think that needs to be said because now I've had this experience and I know that this is true and I can tell you from, this is, this is not one of those round robin stories. This happened to me. You always think you're at the bottom of the pile. You mm-hmm. always imagine that if you're rejected for any sort of application you throw out there, you're at the bottom of the pile. Just know that that's not always the case. And it often doesn't so have anything many, to do about you. Nope. There are so many people... There are so many people applying for the same position. So many people. Everyone wants to get funding. Everyone wants to get. Everyone wants to get the job. You you're up against so many other people with so many different qualifications. So sometimes it's the fact that they already know who they're going to hire. Yes, that may be one, you know, problem. Second problem is simply the only thing you can control in this entire process is your own CV. Oh yeah, and that's that's really key. You. It's so often not about you. I have been yeah. on selection committees for jobs. Yeah. And it's really interesting. You know, you write a job ad and you think, oh, this is the person we need. And then you look at what you actually get. And then you see, okay, does this match? Does this not match? Mm. And sometimes this magical thing happens again, like dating. Yeah. You meet someone, uh, a candidate comes along that gives you something you didn't even know you were looking for. Absolutely. So it's not about you. No. It's not because they hated you. It's no. not because they're mean. No, it's not because everything you're doing is useless or your research has nothing valid. to do with that. Nothing. I got rejected for this postdoctoral grant twice, and then they called me after having selected someone and said, "Well, you know, we can sponsor you now. We would really like to." Somebody else who said yes to got a job. And then you just go to the one next down the list, and that was me. So it's just one down, just one person down. That's right. And that's, and I'm saying this because not because I think, oh well, of course, <laughs> but because I think that it's important to remember. It's so easy to be negative about yourself. It's so easy to yeah. think, clearly nothing I'm doing is working. But they could actually really, really like you. But there yeah. was just one person who had that one extra thing that they thought, yeah, okay, this is the 
this Tip is the, the balance. Yeah. So, so just don't think of yourself as being constantly on the bottom path. No. Not really. And, and the fact is, if you're getting all these short-term contracts, that means you're great. Yes. You're in demand. Yes. It's fantastic. And, um, but of course... Everybody wants you. Everyone loves you. But also, I think, uh, because even no matter how good you think your CV and your application is, always have someone read over it. It can always be better. Oh, it can always be better. There's always something that could be better. But but again, this is something that we... Target it uh, to a job. Yeah, yeah. target it to a job. Don't send up mass stuff. Just pick out whatever needs to happen. But I also think that this is a little bit... Uh, this is also a little cultural. Mm. The way that you write your application is a little bit cultural as well. Yes. You have to be aware of where you're doing this. And yeah. that's not something that we, we have time to talk about. No. Um, but certainly, you know, you're best aware of your cultural conventions in, in your own native country. If you're applying to a country that maybe you're not from or haven't lived in for very long, get someone who is familiar. Yeah. Someone who actually is familiar with the conventions of your particular job. Yeah. If you're used to applying for museum jobs and suddenly you're applying for university jobs... That's a different kind of resume. That's yeah. a different kind of cover letter. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of interview process. You need to get advice that's targeted to that job. Yeah. Vice versa. If you have been used to university and now you're applying for museum jobs, a government job, uh, a private museum, a city so museum, different. it's going to be different. Ask someone who has experience in that. Yeah. And that, again, is, is what Boundary Objects is here to help you with. Absolutely. We have a range of experiences. Um, the more members we have, the better it gets. So... Um, if you have questions, uh, post on our message boards, uh, send us an email. We will try and hook you up with the best advice we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. We're also just there to be the wall between you and the person that you want to have hire you to say, yeah, just whine at us and don't do it to the person who's trying to We're the shoulder to to cry on. We are the shoulder to cry on. We are the person who say, no, no, you're not sending out that email. A professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's all we have time for today. Um, tune in next time for Boundary Objects podcast episode number five. It can only get better from here on in. It can only get better from here on in, and that applies to jobs, and that applies to interviews. Never St- give in. Never surrender. Stay you positive, friends. Stay positive. You can do this. Uh-huh.